The following is a message by Professor Josh Van E. of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Sovereign Lord, we rejoice in your presence, in your word that you call us as your people and that you choose to work through us, your people. And we rejoice in our King, Jesus Christ, who has come and who is now reigning and who will come again. And may that be the focus of our hope, our yearning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at two passages in the book of 1 Kings this morning, uh, two related passages that I think are helpful when they're read together. So 1 Kings chapter 6, verses 11 through 13 is the first one. And then 9, 1 through 9, is the second one. And these are two times that uh, God spoke to Solomon surrounding, kind of on both ends of his building of the temple. So let's uh, first we'll read from 1 Kings 6, beginning with verse 11. Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon, saying, Concerning this house which you are building... If you will walk in my statutes and execute my ordinances and keep all my commandments by walking in them, then I will carry out my word with you, which I spoke to David your father. I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. Now turn over to chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. Now it came about when Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. The Lord said to to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house, which you have built by putting my name here forever, and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. As for you, if you will walk before me as your father David walked, in integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and will keep my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, just as I promised to your father David, saying, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But... If you or your sons indeed turn away from following me and do not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them and the house which I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. So Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples and this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone who passes by will be astonished and hiss and say, 
What has the Lord done? Or why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? And they will say, because they forsook the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and adopted other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought all this adversity on them. The hope of kingship, at least temporally, isn't a reality for most of us. Um, this summer, when I was in Jordan, it, uh, it was somewhat enlightening to, uh, to see how focused a nation can be on their king. Everywhere you went, there were posters, big placards, uh, there were monuments, um, everywhere you went. And, and the people, too, they talked about the king. Uh, they were pleased with their king. They like their king that they presently have in Jordan. And, and so much of, their, much of uh, their hopes for the country, their hopes for themselves, their hopes for justice, are really tied up in this person, in, in this king, this one who has sovereign rule. Um, we rarely get very excited about our politicians. Um, maybe once in a while, but more it's, oh, which one's worse? Okay, I'll, 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 I'll vote for the other one. Um, and, and we know that, uh, that, well, it'll be four years, and, uh, and then we can have a new change of guard, something like that. Or, uh, uh, so we don't have that sense, the longevity of, of a king. I mean, this king is going to be the future, the hope, the guidance of your country until he's either deposed or dies. Um, so, so it's really tied up with that. And I think that can help us in looking at uh, kingship in Israel and the way it's used, the way it's uh, used by God. As we, as we look in the Old Testament and we look at the kings, Solomon is really the one where this hope becomes most concentrated, where it uh, is most focused, who's, who's in some ways raised up um, the most as, as maybe the one, as uh, maybe this, this will be it. Uh, this will um, bring about what we've wanted. And as you read about his reign, both in Kings and or in Chronicles, you see that he was the one who, uh, who brought peace, right? He, he, his, his reign is a reign of peace, even his name, right, related to peace. And prosperity, uh, everybody was rejoicing. Everybody was sitting under their vine and fig tree. Um, and also justice, right? Justice was very big. It was a very important thing that the king brought about. And that's what Solomon was known about. So he had these things going for them. What, what the king was supposed to do, peace, prosperity, and justice. But even more than that, who was this Solomon? Right? This Solomon... He was the son of David. He was the son of God's promise. Uh, Israel, they had had times of blessing before, maybe not quite as good as Solomon, um, but, uh, and it was usually under faithful leaders. But the problem was either these faithful leaders, at the end of their life, they became unfaithful, or more often they died. And, uh, and then Israel, they were stuck. And they went back to their sin. Um, but God had made a promise to David. 
promise we read of in 2 Samuel 7, a covenant with him. And uh, in this, he, um, David, it was, it was brought about, let me back up, it was brought about because David wanted to build a house for God. But uh, God says, no, I'm going to build a house for you. Um, and then this uh, son who would come out, who was God's building his house, he would be the one to build a house for God. And as you read the promise, it, part of what uh, is the focus there is it will bring security for the people. Right? This king right, will have an eternal kingship that will provide this enduring security, this enduring blessing for God's people. And this son of David would be more than just the son of David. He would have a special relationship with God. God would be his father and would call him his son. And uh, and this would lead to this everlasting kingdom, this uh, time of blessing, prosperity for God's people. And so we get back to our passage that we're looking at today. And what is, uh, where are we in this story? Right? Solomon has had peace, prosperity, and justice. And, and now, right, this son of David is doing what? He's building the house of God. What is promised in this covenant, uh, this covenant with David. And it's really the pinnacle of his career, at the, at the midpoint of the account. Um, it's, uh, it dominates the story of what we know about Solomon. Uh, with all of the extravagance of the temple and its preparations uh, taking over the story. And, uh, and so we're, we're ready. Is this, is this it? Right? Is this the promised son of David? He's building the house. He has peace, prosperity, riches. Um, is this it? And so God comes and he says, well done, Solomon. You've done it. This is it. Well, that's not really what he says. Um, Instead, we could almost say, God comes and he reigns on Solomon's parade. He he comes with provisions. He comes with stipulations. He comes with, really, the need for obedience. The need for this son of David to have obedience. And this obedience would then be what secures blessing for the people, what secures the house, what secures the eternal kingship. And so as we read these two, and as they frame the story of, of, the, uh, of the story of uh, um, the building of the temple, it really raises questions, not answers. Um, well, is this Solomon really going to be the son of, this promised son of David? And even is this temple really going to be the house of God that was promised to be built? Um, They both emphasize, as we said, the need for obedience. Uh, Solomon's obedience to bring about these promises. Uh, We can see this in uh, chapter 6 if we look there. Solomon's beginning to build this house. And what does God say? Does he say, um, you know, this house that you're building, you know, this, my house, 
that you're building. Um, let me tell you about it. Well, he comes out and he just says, you know, this house that you're building. It's not yet God's house. It's, uh, it's just this house that you're building. And then he goes right into a stipulation. Um, he says that if uh, Solomon's obedient, what will happen? Well, God will fulfill for him the promise of David. And what this temple represents, right, God's presence among his people, then that will be true. But it's all um, tied to Solomon's obedience. Right? If Solomon is faithful, then God will dwell with his people and will not abandon them. And if we look over in 9, verses 1 through 9, we, uh, we see a similar theme, uh, though told in a little different way, uh, really a somewhat more ominous way, uh, you know, a much stronger warning in it. Uh, in in uh, 9, 1 through 9, Solomon's now done with the temple. Um, and God's present did, presence did come down in the glory cloud uh, to consecrate it. And Solomon prayed a long prayer at the dedication um, and basically had two requests, the request for the fulfillment of this promise to David and his house, um, specifically through Solomon, and then a request that God would look at this temple and hear the cries of his people when they prayed and, uh, and answer them, especially in their sin, forgive them. And so God comes here and, and he gives his answer to that. Um, and we see uh, the answer about uh, the dedication that this is, right? God has placed his name on it, thereby sanctifying it. And he will look at it. He will have his eyes and his heart towards it to hear his people. But then we get again the stipulation. Starting with verse 4 there. If you will walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and will keep my statutes and my ordinances, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever, just as I promised David. So we get this uh, stipulation again on Solomon, right? His other request about bringing forth this, this promise, this Davidic promise, right? It's now tied to his obedience. Uh, he must obey in order for it to be true of him. And, uh, and then in, uh, in verses 6 and following, it's applied, his obedience is brought over then to the people and the house, right? But if you don't obey Solomon, then curses will come. Now, at the, and in verse 6, if, uh, if you look at the Hebrew, uh, you may be, may be struck by something. Um, we change from the uh, singular you to the plural you. And this has caused some commentators to say that, well, maybe we're shifting here. No longer is God just addressing Solomon. Now he's addressing all of Israel, um, this plural you. But uh, I don't think that... Uh, um, that that's the best way to read this. There's no indication in the context of a change of address. Um, we can see it maybe as the you of Solomon and his successors, which are brought in here. 
Uh, but even more so if we relate it back to the parallel in chapter 6, right? It was Solomon and his obedience that would lead to God being with Israel and not forsaking them. Uh, so I think we should still see Solomon as the one addressed, Solomon and all of the Davidic kings to follow him, that they need to obey. Um, and if they don't, curse will follow. And these curses come right out of Deuteronomy, many of them, uh, with, chap- with verses, uh, the end part of 8 and 9, almost an exact quotation from Deuteronomy 29, uh, 23 through 26. If Solomon disobeys, if his sons disobey, right, this house that God has consecrated will be done away with. And the people will be thrown off the land. They, um, God again comes to Solomon with this demand for obedience, this demand for obedience to fulfill his promises, his promises in David. And... Uh, with these, two pa- with these two passages, I think we're being shown that uh, just being the son of David as Solomon was, was not enough. Just building the house was not enough. Instead, this promise would only be fulfilled through an obedient son of David, through an obedient son of God. Solomon here is shown to be in many ways, I would say, a second Adam figure. A, uh, a person who is given the responsibility, right, really to build the house of God, Adam in the garden, and now here Solomon, and to be obedient, and his obedience would bring blessing, would bring prosperity to all those who were with him, all those who followed after him. But his disobedience would bring the curse, would bring the curse. And, and as we read through Kings, we're especially struck near the end of Kings where it's the deeds of Manasseh that God will not look over, the evil deeds of Manasseh that caused him to bring down the curse on Israel. Adam failed. Solomon, as we continue to read, failed. But Thanks be to God, God's promises do not fail because God fulfills them himself. God became man, the man Jesus Christ, to be for us the second Adam. Solomon showed what was needed. God told Solomon here what was needed for there to be lasting security for God's people. Perfect obedience by their king. And that is what Christ fulfilled for us. Christ earned our eternal blessing by his act of obedience. He was the true temple that secures God's presence for us. And so we can have this true hope in a true king, one that is now reigning, one that will always be reigning, and one that is coming again, one that is coming for you and for me to bring us to that blessed home. So let's pray again in the name of our Savior and King.
Dear Heavenly Father, we can have confidence only in Jesus Christ and in his completed work for us. May that spur us on. May that give us hope. May that raise us up in times of doubt and in times of depression. You are the one who completes. You are the one who fulfills your promises. And we rejoice in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Copyright 2007 Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.